Hey, Jorotato Fale. Welcome to Understanding the Two Covenants that God gave to Israel. I'm really excited about uh, this teaching series. Um, now, to really help you, it'll be a good idea to have a look at the previous two videos I did because the way I'm un unwrapping this teaching series is by focusing on establishing foundational concepts first. Everything has a foundation, and, and without the foundation, uh, you end up with something weak, you end up with something crooked, uh, you can end up with crazy stuff. And so, so I covered a few foundations, and, and tonight on this video, what I'd like to do is... Um, cover the foundation that the law and the Ten Commandments are exactly the same thing. Amen? Exactly the same thing. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 7, verse 7. So I've just got it down, my Bible down here. Romans 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Um, God forbid, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For had, I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet is one of the Ten Commandments. Now, who said, Thou shalt not covet in this verse? For the law said, Thou shalt not covet. Therefore, the law and the Ten Commandments are exactly the same thing. That was the Apostle Paul speaking. Uh, Jesus said that every matter is established by two or three witnesses. So my first witness was Paul. My second witness is the Apostle James. James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. This is what verse 10 says. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. In other words, when you are uh, under the law, when you keep the law, if you break one law, you are guilty by default of breaking the whole law. And please remember, keeping the law was just not keeping Ten Commandments. Keeping the law was keeping 600 and 13 laws, okay? Um, so Paul said in Galatians 5.3, if you keep one law, you are obligated to keep the whole law or keep all 613 laws. James is saying in this verse here, but if you break one law, then by default you break all 613 laws. That's why it was impossible. It was impossible to keep the law. Israel could never keep the law. All the centuries of being under law and following the law, they could never, ever, ever keep the law. Not the kings, not the prophets, not the apostles. Nobody could keep the law except for Christ. In fact, even people who demand we keep the Ten Commandments, they've never kept the law either. Okay, so the law and the Ten Commandments are the same thing. James 
For he that says, do not commit adultery, do not kill. Now, if you commit adultery, yet if you kill, you are become a transgressor of the law. Committing adultery and killing are two of the, two of the Ten Commandments. And here James says, but if you kill, you are a transgressor. Transgress means to break. You are a transgressor of the law. If you kill, you break the Ten Commandments. Here James is saying, if you kill, you break the law. Finally, the law and the Ten Commandments are exactly the same thing. Okay? It's a basic foundation to understanding the two covenants. So I just wanted to start tonight uh, pointing that out because everywhere I go, I always meet someone who says, no, the Ten Commandments is, is God's moral law. Okay, we're always supposed to keep the Ten Commandments in order to please God. Uh, those verses I just quoted, it's talking about keeping the law as, as in the sacrificial laws. But I've just showed you it in your own Bible, the law of the Ten Commandments. Paul said it, James said it. And Jesus said, if you can find it twice, it's true. Okay. Now, last week I talked about uh, Galatians 3, verse 19. What's the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed should come. Christ being the seed. Therefore, the cutoff date for the law until was when Christ came, was the cross. That's why Romans 10.4 says Christ is the end of the law. The law, the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant, all three of the same thing, ended on the cross. Okay? Um, Colossians 2.14. The law and the commandments, that was against us. See, the Ten Commandments and the flesh do not mix. There's hostility there. Uh, between the flesh and the and the righteousness of God. And Colossians 2.4 says, those commandments that were against us were nailed to the cross. That's where the law, the Ten Commandments, requirement to keep those things ended. Okay? So last week I covered Galatians chapter 3, 19 to 25. And tonight, what we're going to do is we're just going to go over Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Okay, so 30 minutes, we should be complete by, um, yep, 30 minutes time. Mm. Galatians chapter 4, fun. If you've got, got your Bible, open it with me. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. I use a Bible platform called um, Esword. Been using it for many years. It's such a blessing. Um, it's amazing how, excuse me, it's amazing how it's helped me. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. And this is what it says <laughs> Tell me, you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Can you note a. Uh, a note of, um, wow, 
there's a tone in there of don't you understand the law? Don't you understand your Bible? Don't you understand the scriptures? Um, so just a bit of a backstory to the book of Galatians before we go any further. Galatians was a Gentile church that some people came in, Jews, whoever came in, and they taught this church that they had to keep the law in order to be saved. And so this church swallowed that gospel line, hook and sinker, um, and they believed you had to keep the Ten Commandments in order to be saved. And so Paul is writing the, this Galatian letter to address this humongous error, really big error. Um, Galatians 3.1 says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you because of they fell into this deception that we have to keep the Ten Commandments in order to be saved. We have to be, keep the Ten Commandments in order to please God. Okay, that's Ten Commandments is a requirement of the Old Covenant, the first covenant God gave to Israel. Okay, now that requirement was only between God and Israel, nobody else. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 3 says, this is Moses speaking, God gave this covenant to us who are standing here today. He didn't give this covenant to our fathers, referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he gave this covenant to us. I assure you, when Moses spoke those words recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 3, the only people in hearing shot was the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel. The Ten Commandments was only given to the nation of Israel. The law was only given to the nation of Israel. The Old Covenant, First Covenant, was only given to the nation of Israel. And so this church has been just fallen into this deception that we've got to Keep the Ten Commandments in order to please God, to find approval from God, to be acceptable by God. It's a it's a it's an error, and um, and Paul is addressing this error in this church. So hence the the tone of his voice when he writes verse twenty one. Tell me, you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear what the Lord says? Do you not understand the law? You obviously don't know why Christ nailed the law to the cross. Verse 22 says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a slave woman, the other by a free woman. Verse 23, But he was who was of the slave woman was born after the flesh, but he that was the free woman was born by promise, which things are an allegory, verse 24. So, those previous verses was the laying the platform, laying the foundations of this allegory, a natural story about natural events because Paul's desire is to bring out the revelation, bring out, uh, unwrap the spiritual mystery using the story of Abraham, his two wives and two sons. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, so 
For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to slaves, which is Hagar. Okay? So, so the two women represent the two covenants. And in verse 24, the Holy Spirit is identifying which woman represents which covenant. So in verse 24, the mention is Agar or Hagar, the slave woman. Okay? And she represents the covenant that was given on Mount Sinai. So which covenant was given on Mount Sinai? The Ten Commandments, the law, or what we call the Old Covenant. Okay? Okay. Now. <clears throat> okay, where are we up to? Uh, we're reading verse 24. Okay, so did you get that? So the, the two women represent the two covenants, and Hagar, the slave woman, is a representation of the Ten Commandments. How do I know that? Because Hagar is a representation of Mount Sinai. What happened on Mount Sinai? That's where the Ten Commandments was given. That's where the covenant of law was made between God and Israel. Verse 25, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai. Okay, remember, Hagar is a representation of Mount Sinai is where the Ten Commandments came. So Hagar is a representation of the Ten Commandments. Hagar is a representation of the Old Covenant. And answers to Jerusalem, which now is in slavery with her children. So uh, let's look at this allegory or the pictures of this allegory. First, we've got Hagar, the slave woman, which we already know is representation of the Old Covenant. Verse 25, we've got Mount Sinai, which is a representation of the Ten Commandments. Well, we know the, the law and the Ten Commandments are the same thing. But note, listen to what it says further. And answers to Jerusalem, which now is. So the slave woman is ans answerable. She answers to Jerusalem, which now, now is. So what do you think is symbolic of current-day Jerusalem in Paul's day? Okay, because this current Jerusalem in Paul's day is also in slavery with the slave woman. Okay, the current uh, Jerusalem in that day, it speaks of the, of the religious order, the same religious spirit that crucified Christ, the same religious spirit that stoned Stephen, the same religious spirit that's been persecuting the church to this very day. The world is not the enemy of the church. The religious spirit in the church is the enemy. Okay? And in verse 25, in this allegory, is telling us that Hagar, the slave woman, is a, is a representation of the Ten Commandments which answers to this hierarchy in Jerusalem, this religious sect in Jerusalem, and it points out, and they are all 
and slavery together. Because that's what happens under the law. The law makes you a slave. The law enslaves you. How, how does that work? Because you can't keep the law. And therefore you, you fall into indebtedness. And what happens when you have a debt you can't pay? When you've got no more belongings, there's only one more thing available to meet that debt, and it's yourself. And that's how one moves from the status of a free person to a slave, to a slave. And that's what happened to Israel, okay? They became indebted to the law. They couldn't meet the demands of the law. Henceforth, they became indebted to the law. They became a slave to the law. And when you are indebted to the law, when you have a debt you cannot pay, there's a couple of options to look at. One of the options is the one you're indebted to, while in that covenant arrangement, their debt was to God. So one of the options is the person you're in debt to forgives you. While under the law, there was no provision of forgiveness. See, under the law, sins weren't forgiven. Sins weren't taken away. Sins were covered. They were hidden until Christ came. And so there's no provision under the law for forgiveness. So forgiveness of Israel's debt wasn't an option. Um, you could work it off. Well, this, this debt, um, the, the righteousness that this, this debt um, required, uh, Israel could not earn. So that wasn't an option either. Um, and of course, another option if you're in debt is someone comes and takes your place and takes on your debt. And then you become free to go home. But of course, that's a prophetic, prophetic analogy of Christ came and took our place. Christ came and became the debtor on our behalf. Hence, we became free. But of course, in Israel's day, um, the fullness of time for Christ to come had not come yet. So, so they were they were left without any remedy for their dilemma. They were left helpless. Henceforth, when you got nothing else to pay, uh, pay your debt. You you the only thing you've got left is your life, and that's how Israel's became slaves to the law. And in this allegory, uh, Paul is using the slave woman to bring about this, this uh, imagery. <clears throat> okay, we read verse 25, verse 26. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. So note, Jerusalem, present day Jerusalem in Paul's day, that's, that's a, a picture of... Um, the hierarchy of religiosity, the religious spirit that crucified Christ, the enemy of God, really. And so, in contrast, verse 26 is bringing out the fact that Jerusalem above, which is above, is free. Now, Hebrews 12 tells us Jerusalem above is a, is a picture of the church. We're talking in pictures. This is an allegory to explain spiritual mysteries. 
So in contrast, we've got on one hand, Hagar, the slave woman, she's a representation of the Old Covenant. She's a representation of the Ten Commandments. And <clears throat> she's a slave in slavery and bondage with the religious sect of Jerusalem. Okay? They are all slaves. <clears throat> and then on the other side, on the other side, we've got Sarah, the free woman. She's symbolic or she's a representation of the new covenant. Okay. <clears throat> but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Okay. For it is written. <clears throat> and well, let's just talk about that mother of us all. Okay. Abraham, Father Abraham. We call Abraham father because, because of the faith. Abraham had, and God um, credited to him righteousness. And in the same way, uh, by faith, God gives us the same righteousness. <clears throat> and Abraham is known as the father of faith. Down here, it points out um, Sarah, Jerusalem, which is above, which is the mother of us all. Okay. And, of course, all these allegories are representation of, concerning Sarah, are representations of the new covenant. It's the new covenant that's our mother. It's the new covenant that gives birth to the church. On the cross, Jesus ended the old covenant. Okay. Then Hebrews 9.17 says, before he exhaled his, uh, sorry, after he exhaled his final breath, and um, and dismissed his spirit. Uh, that very act of dying, of the Lord dying, enforced the new covenant, which we have birthed to the church. And so that's what we're talking about. The new covenant is our mother. Verse twenty-seven: For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not; break forth and cry. Thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which has a husband. <clears throat> and of course, that's a, that's a prophecy from Isaiah 54. One. Uh, if you're familiar with Isaiah 53, it's the prophetic chapter of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. 700 years before it actually took place. That's Isaiah 53. And, of course, Isaiah 54, 1, this is a prophecy of, of Sarah rejoicing. Rejoicing, because there was a long time she was barren without child, but through Christ, she would have many, many, many children. Okay, remember the promise God gave to Abraham? That through your seed, which is Christ, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How will they be blessed? Through salvation, through becoming the sons of God, the sons of promise. Okay, verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Now remember how he began this allegory up in verse 21? Okay, it was like a, it was like a admonition. You who desire to be under the law, don't you hear or understand what the law means? 
Don't you have any understanding? And and after presenting his allegory, he, he's he's moving into bringing closure. And 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 the tone of his voice changes, tone of the letter changes. Verse 28, 28. Now we, brothers and sisters, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Verse 29. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him after the spirit, even so it is now. Okay? Remember this allegory is based on two women having two sons. The slave son is called Ishmael. The free son is called Isaac. And Paul is telling us in verse 29, in the same way Ishmael persecuted Isaac centuries ago, Paul is saying, even today, the sons, the slave sons, are still persecuting the free sons today. Okay? And even though... Uh, the allegory is about uh, Ishmael and Isaac. He's speaking to believers. He's speaking to the church. Okay? He's speaking to the church about this conflict that still exists in the church in Paul's day. And I assure you, it still exists in the church in our day today. And that conflict is the persecution of the ones born after the flesh against the ones born after the spirit. Okay, another way to look at it is uh, the conflict between the spiritually immature and the spiritually mature, between the flesh and the spirit. Mm. Verse 30, nevertheless, what saith the scripture? What saith the scripture? <clears throat> Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. And of course, he's just quoting the conclusion of the story in the Old Testament, and he's using it as valid, as a valid solution for the spiritual conflict within the church today. <clears throat> Cast them out. Cast out old covenant teaching. Uh, I gave an example in, in last week's video. Uh, an example of old covenant teaching is Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, your sins have separated you from God. And yet, new covenant teaching, Romans 8 verse uh, 38, says nothing can separate you from the love of God. So it sounds like a it sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? Your sins separate you from God, and yet nothing separates you from God. What's the what's 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 the what's the scripture actually saying? Well, what the scripture is actually teaching is under the old covenant. There was a covenantal agreement based on the Ten Commandments. Okay? That was the agreement they had to keep. Israel alone, nobody else. Okay? 
But the church is not under the Ten Commandments. The church is not under the Old Covenant. That is why, speaking to the church, Romans 8.38 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Okay, so... Um, there's a bit there's a bit more to say in the in the final two verses, but basically uh, verse 30 is basically saying get rid of everything that's old covenant teaching, whether it's in your sermons, whether it's in your songs, whether it's in your prayers, get rid of it, cast it out. That's the word of the Lord, cast it out. Because the two cannot coexist together. Why? Because the old covenant was only given to the nation of Israel and the new covenant was given to the church. Okay? To the church. Amen? Okay, finally, um, I hope you got a blessing from that. That's, um, we've just gone through uh, half bottom half of Galatians chapter 4. And, um, yes, there's quite a bit in there, Fana. Once again, I assure you, we are merely scraping the surface, scraping the surface. But understand, our initial intention is to ensure we've got some strong, solid biblical foundations um, to give us a sure ground to stand on when we're ready to begin wading out into the deeper revelation of these things. Amen. Okay, bless you guys, and we'll see you guys again next Wednesday, 7.30. Mauri ora. Bless you guys. Amen.